Education USA Монгол явуулт Bros мэдчихэж байна. Бид энэ хүү цол подкастараа дамжуулан Америкийн нэгдсэн улсад дэлхийд төргүүлэх боломжтой үзэмшээд их орондоо иргэн ирж мэрэгжлээрээ салбар салбартай мандалын ажиллаж буй Монгол залуусын төвийг төргүүлж байхаар зорилоо. Та бүхэн бидний бэлтгсэн явцуудыг 7 хоног бүрийн даваа гаргуудад хүлээн авч сонсоорой. Welcome listeners for Mongolian Association of State Alumni and Education ESS first English podcast episode. Today's podcast guest is Education ESS Mongolia's new advisor and Mongolian Association of State Alumni or MASA's program officer, Mr. Pitlicht. Hey, Pitlicht, how's it going? And could you introduce yourself for our listeners, please? Yeah, Namjan, thank you for having me and welcome everyone else. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Like Namjin says, this is in English and this will be our actual first English podcast. So a little bit about me. My name is Bilik Toksahan and I just came back to Mongolia. I studied in the United States in Nashville, Tennessee, and I lived most of my life in the United States, about nine years of my life in Hawaii, Oahu, Honolulu, and then six years in Nashville, Tennessee. And I lived some few months in Boston and San Francisco. You spent quite some time in United States. So how is it to live in there? It's interesting because, you know, you're exposed to so many different kinds of culture. Uh, when you really say it's like, what is an American? You know, an American is anyone, really anyone who came to the United States looking for a better life or more opportunity and making their life there. All right. Could you talk a little more about your school? So I went to Lipscomb University in Nashville, Tennessee. As you know, Nashville is the home of the country music. So it's a nice big city. And Lipscomb University is a little bit smaller than most uh, big schools, but it's a really nice campus. It's very lush, green. People are really nice. The students are very friendly. It's got that Southern hospitality, as it's known in America, being in the South. And the teachers are very friendly. They're They get very personal with you. They're willing to help you out and you can get coffee with them. And if you don't show up to class, then you know, they will come be wondering where you are and so on. Definitely Lipscomb was a really friendly, welcoming school. Cool. What did you study at Lipscomb University? So I studied environmental and sustainability science, emphasis in biology. Well, that's what I graduated with in a bachelor's of science. But when I first started Lipscomb University, I, I was graduating with a biology degree. But then at the end of my junior year, I believe, yeah, I switched to environmental and sustainability major. And I believe I made the right choice. <laughs> you chose biology, but how did you get into environmental science? So when I actually first started school, I was undecided. And I think in the middle of my first semester, I was like, okay, think of doing biology because my mom, she was a biologist. So I chose biology, but then wasn't really into it. So I kind of looked for degrees that had some of the requirements of the class that I already took. So I had been taking biology classes. So I was looking for some kind of degree that had uh, biology classes in the requirement. That's where I, I found environmental sciences. And I kind of looked into it and I was like, you know what? This is something that sounds really interesting and something that I might potentially be interested in. So then at the start of my senior year, I believe, went and met with the professor's department head of the environmental science and sustainability. So I met her in just my first meeting with her. I told her my situation where I was changing majors and I had taken all these biology classes. I asked her how long will I have to study for? How many more classes will I take before graduating? And to tell me more about this degree. She told me, okay, these are the classes you have left. Uh, and she literally right there and there 
wrote all my uh, classes that I will be taking for the next two years. So she said, if you take cl your classes, you'll graduate in two years. So in total, I would be in school for five years. And she made all my schedule for what I would have to take this semester, next semester, the next and next. That really got me into it. I was like, okay, she knows what she's talking about. I can trust her. And she was really friendly. So I decided to go on with that. And it was a great choice. I definitely enjoyed all the teachers and uh, faculty in that department. And they taught me a lot of stuff. Definitely, I really want to continue my field in environmental and sustainability sciences. Actually, this is a high time for college planning uh, to study in the United States. So if students are planning to go to the United States for studying, and what would you recommend for looking for colleges? So choosing your college or shortlisting your college, there's a lot of things that go into, into that. Some are personal, some are just, you know, things that is important when you're shortlisting colleges. And so some personal things is, you know, what kind of weather do you like? Do you like being in the hot, cold, which is very important because it affects your mentality when you're studying, you know. If you like cold, but then you're studying in a hot place, you're going to be kind of discouraged. You're not going to feel up to working. And, you know, location is important due to weather. And the farther you are in, the longer <laughs> you will have to fly to get back home. And I think as going, trying to choose a college when you are undecided is one of the hardest things. Because if you're decided, like, let's say, if I want to be an engineer, you'll be looking for engineering schools, right? Schools that have good engineering programs. But then if you are undecided, you don't know what to do. That's kind of where I was. Then I had a family member who lived in Nashville and Tennessee. So I was like, okay, you know, I know someone in that city. I looked at schools there, found a couple schools, and I applied to two or three. And one of them got back to me. And the international recruiter was really nice, very friendly. She helped me along. So that's kind of what made me choose Lipscomb. More environment and friendliness. But for other students, kind of think about, okay, what, what is important to me? is small school, big school, uh, what kind of environment I like. I think environment plays an important role to choosing. So for something, I would definitely say is to look into the environment. And on top of that also, they say you don't have to choose your major in the first year, but you need to choose your field of studies, which is like biology or engineering or business. There's like multiple business degrees, right? International business, marketing, accounting. You don't have to choose which one until maybe your junior year, but you need to choose your field. How many schools did you apply for and how hard was it? I think I applied maybe five, six. I could be wrong. It's been like six years since then, seven years almost. But I did use the common application, which I think is why also I don't really remember how many schools is because you just input your data, right? And then you just kind of check mark which schools you want to send it. So you don't have to repeat that process of inputting your name, date, birth, all that stuff over and over. You just do it once and then it's saved on your profile. And then you just choose which schools you want to send it to. And if that school has a particular special question, then you fill that out. But yeah, I think it was around six schools. And then I got a kind of response back from uh, Lipscomb pretty quickly. So I didn't really need to apply to any more schools. Ah, cool. And uh, how was to be a student at Lipscomb University? So before talking about Lipscomb, I'll, let me tell you guys a little bit more of Nashville, Tennessee. So the weather is warmer. The winters are very warm. Winters is almost as it is right now, you know, between it being hot days to being a little 
colder. Summers are really hot. Like I said, mentioned before, I lived in Hawaii. It's hotter than a tropical island. So, so if you like hot weather, it's very nice. It's very kind of hilly, so it's got a hill. So if you're biking, you'll struggle. It's not flat. Basically, the entire city is in like a forest. So it's very green. It's kind of opposite of how Mongolia is, where it's plains and, you know, steeps. So it's just trees and covers of trees. People are very nice. They're, as I mentioned before, like, it's they got the very southern hospitality compared to the other places I've been in Hawaii. It's more religious, you know. You have a church on every street corner. One street corner, you got, like, four churches. <laughs> so it's a nice place to live. Definitely, I it would be one of the places I would want to retire at or live so my life in Lipscomb University uh, starting with the faculty the faculty the teachers I've uh, worked with they're very friendly they're very open you can just walk into the office and you know if they're not busy you can just have a normal conversation with them you can have coffee with your professors they'll really show you their affection and that they care for you so that's one thing I loved about Lipscomb and it's also as I mentioned before it's a bit small so the most students I had in one class was maybe 30-40 which is pretty small because it was one of those general education courses and then when I got more specific to my degree class it was uh, only like 5-10 students students are very friendly they're very open-minded they have people from different cultures different countries too they have a pretty good international community the international students are very friendly. They'll walk into the international office. There'll be students sitting there. The international faculty advisors, they'll introduce you to the students and the students will be very friendly and they'll be like, need help, they'll help you. Students from Mongolia, some of them live on campus or some of them live off campus, right? So uh, what about you and uh, which one do you think is better? My entire study at Lipscomb, I lived on campus, lived in two different dorms. As a freshman, you are required to live on campus. Boys and girls are separated. So my first year, I lived in a dorm called High Rise. That's usually where all the freshmen boys are situated in. Unless you live with a family member, if your family member lives in Nashville, then you can uh, stay off campus. But for your first year, you have to uh, stay on campus. And especially if you're an athlete, for the school, you have to live on campus. At least for Lipscomb uh, University, there's also different types of dorms. You know, there's the one you have to share your bathroom. It's a communal bathroom. So you're sharing with all the guys on that floor. And then your room is small. But then as you become sophomores, junior, senior, then you're able to go into a bigger room where maybe you're sharing a bathroom with maybe six guys, but then there's separate rooms and then you got to share a living room kind of space or you have your own room with your own bathroom. And in my last year, that's what I stayed in. I had my own bathroom and my own room. Living on campus is a little bit more expensive, but I would recommend your first year to live on campus because that way you're able to make friends, that way you're able to know your school and kind of get used to uh, the school schedule, waking up early in the morning and such. You're able to attend all the public events your school might have, which can be early in the morning or can be late in the evening. Being a new student in the United States is challenging. So uh, could you uh, explain more about what kind of facilities American colleges do and how to use them properly? So depending on your college, especially college, university, uh, especially if it's a bigger one, it's got different kinds of facilities. Most colleges, universities will have their uh, have a gym for you to use and you can use it. You don't have to pay anything. It's part of your tuition. 
universities is a little small town. You got your food court, you got your gym. There's even cl small classes like spin class in, at your gym. There's the, sometimes it might have a swimming pool. It's got a basketball court. It's got uh, all the sports facilities. Uh, America is very big on sports, especially in uh, the college level. So they'll have basically courts for every sport, every big sports. And then you also have the library study rooms where you can study with your friends or some uh, colleges might have some kind of entertainment facility. There's a movie theater room. There's a big outside lawn. If it's summer, if it's warm, you can go and lay uh, on the ground. Like you're in the countryside here in Mongolia, similar to that. And there's even like uh, facilities that will help you if you're struggling, if you're going through something uh, mental-wise, you're suppressed or you're struggling in the inside. There's psychologists that can help you and they will understand what you're going through. A lot of students struggle. So it's, it's normal if you're a college student to be struggling in the inside. And so there's a lot of facilities that even by the time you're a senior, you have no idea. So try to do your research once before you start your school and after you start your school, kind of look around, see what kind of facilities and if you have access to them or not. Yes, campus is a very like a complex thing that people can study at. And some people actually don't even know about being an athlete student in the United States. So that is one choice, but still the person can pursue a different field of study. So could you talk a little more about uh, uh, being a student athlete in the United States and if possible could you elaborate a little bit about uh, Division 1, Division 2, Division 3 for them because probably some of our listeners are interested in studying in the United States uh, but they still want to be an athlete students because in Mongolia you know so many people are interested in different sports so that would be useful for our listeners. Okay. As I mentioned before, sports is very uh, big in America. It's very important. Um, a lot of money goes into it, so colleges also like to pick up on it. Let's go with basketball. You're a basketball player. You're really good at it. Then colleges will recruit you. They'll say, hey, we like the way you play. You play good. We want you to play for our school. And then they might give you a scholarship. Will give you, you know, 50% off or even 100% uh, scholarship for your school. So you don't have to pay anything. Sometimes they even give you a monthly money to when you go hang out or to buy stuff. So it's really big. And any student who is going into that college can play for that school. But then you have to audition and you have to meet the team. And in college basketball, uh, there's an association that handles it. And it's called the NCAA which stands for National Collegiate Athletic Association. And in college level, there's different divisions. There's Division 3, 2, 1. Of NCAA Division uh, 1 is the top division, and that's where a lot of uh, professional athletes come from. So you play in college in the NCAA Division 1, and then you get recruited into professional sports in America. So all the NBA players, NFL players, they're all coming from playing college level NCAA Division One, And that's another kind of event that you might be interested to go. So let's say, you know, you're not really interested in playing for your school's basketball, but you're interested in watching the basketball. So you can go to your college game held in a, like a big stadium, especially if your school is an NCAA Division One. A lot of people show up. You can even watch your college team play on TV, on the you know ESPN, where they broadcast the NFL, NBA. If you think you're real, if you think you can, you're good, and if you think you can 
actually join the team you can audition for the team and even if you're not you know you don't want to play for your college team you can still join what's called the intramural team which is a team held by done by the students the students form these their own make team and then they play with each other on campus as like their hobby as their interest mostly all colleges will have intramural team Okay, hope many people got some idea about how the system works. After getting into university or college in the United States, one person is very important. The person is international student advisor, right? So, who is international student advisor and what do he do? So, there's something I want to differentiate is there's the international student recruiter and the international student advisor. The person you are talking to, the person who is helping you process your visa application, your I-20 forms, that is the international recruiter. She or he deals with trying to uh, get you applied into the school and trying to bring you over to the United States. Then once you're in school, there's the international student uh, advisor. And each college has a different name for it. My college had a PDSO, which is primary designated school official. So once you do your college, you'll find out. So the international student advisor is the go-to person for all your information about being an international student. So if you want to know what what kind of forms you need to go back home and come back to the United States, she or he uh, will be the person to sign I-20. They're the people who you'll contact if you're having uh, legal issues with the government. Hopefully not, you don't, but you know, any kind of official things, you'll need to go to them rather than in the other school faculty. And they're the ones who will help you with getting your social security card if you need one or if you need a ride to the DMV trying to get a driver's license. Uh, all that information international student advisor will have and any kind of international student events will be uh, hosted by that person. So if you want to get to know more students, more international students, you should go and ask them and they'll be like, oh, we might be having National Students Day and we'll be having this event. Mm. As soon as you get accepted, you get to choose your uh, classes. So what is the best way to get to know your professor? So the first year is the hardest because, you know, you don't know anyone. Yes, it is. Uh, so if you know what you're taking, right, if you have chosen your classes, you'll get an email from your professor or you'll know their emails. Definitely a good thing to email them. Say, hi, my name is Soksehun. I'll be taking your introductory to environmental sciences on this day and really excited to take your class to you soon something like that but then once you you know start attending classes it's good to always ask questions in a appropriate fashion and then it's also good to set up meetings with them so email them hey professor i would like to ask you some questions could we meet set up on an appointment that's the best way to get a meeting with your professor is to email them some professors are busy Sometimes they don't check their emails. Then you can kind of go to their office. That's another important thing is know where your professor's office is. So usually outside the professor's office, there's a schedule and it tells them when they're in class, when they're having lunch, when they're free. Go up to your professor's office. If he's not there, look at the schedule and then come at a time where he might be in the office and free. Then you can also walk to them and talk to them too. And some, if they're a good professor, they'll be very interested in talking to you. They'll want to also get to know you. Also on the syllabus, they specify like office hours. So once this is the first ever English podcast episode for us, some of our listeners are still learning English. They are not familiar with some of these lexical resources of campus life. Yes. So could you explain a little more about this one? Okay. 
Yes. So the syllabus is basically a document you'll get in the beginning of your course. So that's the paper saying, okay, these are the guidelines. This is what you can and shouldn't do. Like you shouldn't be looking at your phone in class, or sometimes you might be no eating. In, and then it tells you what the class will be, what you will be learning in the class. So it'll have the topic, a small description. Some classes will be very detailed saying, okay, from this week to this week, we'll be learning about what is environmental sciences first week, and then the next, and then the next. Even the exams, right? And then, yes, the exam date, they'll have, okay, in this class, you'll take three exams, you'll take uh, four exams. The exam date is on these days. So you'll know when your exams are. And on the syllabus, office hours is when he will be in the actual office. From 11 to 12, it says office hours, meaning he's going to be in the office for you to be able to come and talk to him. The office hours is a time where you can go up to him and ask him questions. But it's also better to make an appointment. Yeah, even on that syllabus, it specified like you get to use this book. So how did you purchase your school books? Because there is a library and the place you can buy. Or uh, what is your experience on that? Again, so you understand the syllabus is a very important document. You definitely want to read every single thing word by word to understand what you can, what you can't. It'll tell you also if your assignment, if you can turn assignments late, if you, you know, how much points you might de get deducted and all that stuff. And it'll tell you what kind of book the class will use. And it'll tell you if you need an actual physical hard copy or you can use a digital copy. Nowadays, there's digital copies and it's usually cheaper. Physical copies are usually more expensive and digitals are cheaper, but digitals are kind of harder to use. Physicals is better. There's a lot of places where you can buy your book. For me, my freshman year thing, I got my book through the school, which was pretty expensive. Books are very expensive. So an advice I would give you is one, you might be able to rent a class book from the library. Your library might have. This won't apply to your first year, but maybe second semester, find out if the people from the previous year is selling their book and then students will sell it cheaper than the bookstore. College bookstores are insanely expensive compared to other stores. Or you can order from uh, online. On Amazon is very popular. Uh, you can order something and get it on that day. People even order their groceries from Amazon. So that's one place you could get into buying your book and it might be cheap because it's used, it's not brand new. And then you also have uh, locally in your city have stores that might sell college books. It's definitely good to do some research and kind of see what kind of options you have. The easiest is your school, school bookstore, but it's the most expensive too. So you got to put work to get cheaper books or if you're feeling lazy, just buy it expensive. There is also a legal opportunity for students to work on campus. So can you tell us about getting a job on campus and working as an international student? Yes, there is the right way to work and that is only working on campus. As an international student, you cannot work off campus or work on campus for more than 20 hours. So that means if you want to work to make some uh, extra money while you're studying in the university, you can get a on-campus job. Those jobs might range from you just sitting in the office or you can be working uh, on campus moving stuff. There's wide ranges of work. They're very student-friendly. They consider the fact that you're in school and you're studying. And there's a lot of jobs in which you don't even have to really show up for months and apply to it. You get it. And then the way you work is by going to the site, they'll have shifts where they need people to work. So it will be next Tuesday between three and four. So that's one hour shift. And let's say you don't have any classes 
in that time so you can sign up for it and then you just show up you work from three to four and then you just leave and there's all kinds of shifts some shifts in the morning afternoon uh, evening late at night so it's very flexible and they don't expect you to work a certain hour worked at like this catering job so my school used to have people come into the school we would have events people would set up meetings in one of our classrooms that isn't being used and then they would do catering so then i would come i would set up all the um, catering stuff bring transport food from one location to another and that was very flexible because i could sign up fit into my schedule so sometimes i'm not a morning person so i would uh, sign up for the late work shift so from five to eight very easy not stressful there's all kinds of work you have to know you can only work 20 hours per week as an international student those kinds of information you'll have to go to your international recruiter and also you can find it by googling or find it on our website so if you want to find information about that go to date.gov website and they'll tell you how much you can work and all the restrictions if you break that restriction by working off campus or working more than 20 hours a week you could lose your visa i-20 and you have to go back home and you might not be allowed back into the united states also when you're on break let's say on summer break you have up to 40 hours a week when your school is on break but you have to make sure exactly when that starts so sometimes a break might start in the middle of the week right the last day of classes is on a wednesday then you have to ask your international advisor and to ask and do research into that to see if I, you can start working such as uh, thanksgiving is a good example when i was at lipcomb university i couldn't work 40 hours during thanksgiving break because it's only a three-day break and that was still considered school week also, the opportunities American colleges offer is extracurricular activities. So did you have any chance to participate or getting involved in some extracurricular activities? And how important is it to be a volunteer? American colleges, they have all kinds of associations, all kinds of organizations. You can even create your own. So you can join those organizations. Sometimes you might have to pay a member's fee, which is maybe $15, $20 for the year. And then also depending on the organization, there's all kinds of things you can do. And it definitely looks really good on your resume. Once you're done with school or during your school, when you're applying for a job, you can update that in your resume. I was part of my school's International Student Association and I was the president. So there's a lot of benefits to these volunteering because every single student in college is going to graduate with a degree. So you have to stand out from the crowd. You know, every person applying to the job will have a degree because that's the requirement. So how do you stand out? It's by volunteering these organizations, having an active role in it. Because you can join the organization and just go to events or not participate in anything. So you can say it in your resume. And even outside of uh, school, you can volunteer for all kinds of organizations in the United States. There's a lot of non-profit organizations that do stuff. So you'll definitely find something that might catch your interest in the future. They might offer you a job or you can write it in your resume that you were a volunteer. And volunteering is you're not expecting any kind of payment. You're not being paid. They'll see, okay, this person is hardworking. Also a good way to expand networking, right? Yes. So by working in these organizations, they might know people in different jobs. Let's say you're not really interested in working in that organization, but then they might be working with another job, another company that you're interested. So you might end up through volunteering for that organization. You might really get close to supervisor, the manager of that other company. So it's a definitely great way to network. And especially it's a great way to expand your skills in which another thing on top of you being doing these volunteering work, you also have these skills from those volunteers. 
volunteering and that way your skills are expanded. Breaks are sad time. International students go back to their own countries. What did you do during breaks? In American uh, University College, they have several breaks. So the biggest one is the winter break between the fall semester and spring semester, which is about a month. And then it's got summer break, which is about two, three months, which is between spring semester and then the fall semester. Usually in those winter times and summer times, you can go back home. But then you also got spring break, which is one week break. And then you got Thanksgiving break or fall break, which is also about one week. It might be too much for you to go back home. So what I did was I had a family friends whom I stayed with for the week and then hanged out with them or uh, I made friends and I went back home with them and then that's something a lot of international students do is they get really close to a local student and then they end up staying for a week at their home and then their family is very uh, kind and happy to have you and I think that's also another American kind of cultural thing they like they don't mind having their let's say son or daughter kids friends come over and staying especially if they're from a different country they'll want to get to know you and know uh, what it's like being a Mongolian so that's one thing you can do or you can with your friends you can plan a road trip definitely something I would consider is because the United States is very big got different kinds of things so you'll see all kinds of different landscape, different kinds of people, even different kinds of culture, not just specifically American. You got Asian culture, African culture. It, it represents a lot of uh, different cultures. People start flying from the Chinggisang airport. Students or people have so many domestic and international flights. So what are some advices about flying internationally or domestically in America? Number one rule of flying is Pack a gum. <laughs> you need, or your ears pop. No, I'm just kidding. But, I mean, gum is good. If you've never flown before, when you get on the airplane, you know, the plane starts getting uh, altitude. Your pressure in your ear will start to build up. So you want to get gum and chew that while you're usually on takeoff also, but la on landing. So that's one thing. But in seriousness, definitely you need your passport. You need your, uh, especially if you're a college student, you need a physical I-20 physical paper, not this century digital on your iPad, on your computer, or iPhone. That is not accepted. You need the printed copy that's very clean. It's not missing letters. It's not smudged. doesn't have a coffee stain because they can send you back home if your I-20 is messed up. And yeah, one thing just wanted uh, to add is some people actually pack their I-20 in the luggage. Yes, and don't. Front, so because it, it definitely be needed when you cross the border, so you need to uh, have them on carry-on. Yes, so don't pack any of your important documents in the luggage. What I did was I had this small folder. It's secured, nothing falls out of it. I had all my paperwork in that, and either I carried it in my hand or I had it in my backpack, which I took on the plane. It's always by my side, and it never leaves me. Only on security. <laughs> your paperwork should be with your passport, with you, on you at all times. And nowadays, when you're at Chinggis Han Airport, the customs over there, after you get your ticket, they also ask for your I-20. Once you get to land in the United States, they'll uh, check it again. And this time, they'll check it. They'll make sure all your paperwork is in order. They'll you know make sure that it's real and all that. And 
it has to have your international student advisor's signature and your signature and a date. Very something very important is your visa means nothing without your I-20. Almost your I-20 is important than your visa, but obviously you need both. So you need to have your advisor's signature and the date she signed it. And that signature is only valid for one year. Uh, if she signs it today, you can only use it till next year of May and to the exact date. So before you leave for school, before you go back home, make sure you sign it and then you have uh, enough period before it expires when you come back. Another important thing, especially if once you land in the United States and then you have to catch another flight, go get to your school. So I lived in Nashville, Tennessee. It's in the south. It's kind of closer to the east coast. It is then to the west coast. So I would land in San Francisco, somewhere in California, and then I would fly to Nashville. But then sometimes I might fly to Dallas and then Nashville or fly to Chicago and then Nashville. One thing different about domestic flights than international is domestic flight gates where you wait to enter your plane inside the airport. It changes for domestic flights. So you have to make sure. For international, it doesn't change. So I actually missed a couple of uh, airplanes because I wasn't uh, careful. So I was sitting on my phone and then I look at the times like my plane should be boarding. And I look up, my plane had moved to a completely different gate and I was actually in the wrong gate. So that's how I missed it. If you're lucky, you don't end up paying and they just put you on a different plane, which was for my case, but they can charge you. They can make you pay for that second flight they, because it was your fault that you missed it. So domestic flights, gates change. So you have to make sure that the gate doesn't change. That was pretty good advice. And uh, our podcast is getting closer to the end. And I just wanted to ask, what advice do you want to give for people who want to study in the United States? The kind of advice I would give to people who want to study in the United States is that definitely possible. If you're feeling, oh, I can never study outside of Mongolia, I can never study in the United States. If you work hard enough for it, you can definitely get all kinds of scholarship from the Mongolian government or from the school or from the United States government. So you just have to really work hard. And once, you know, people are like, oh, I want to get into Stanford. But you can go into like a community college and then you can transfer over. It's all about working hard and definitely getting into a good college, doing well in college is very important. It's a very turning point for you your life if you really work hard the last years of your high school and then the time you're in college you will definitely have an easier life with applying to jobs getting good job with good you know pay and all that and then also once you're in college don't be lazy go out with your friends make friends if you don't have hang out go see stuff america is a big country there's so much to see you don't have to go to a different state you don't have to across the country just in your even in your own city or the neighboring city there's just so much to see eat different kinds of food see different kinds of cultures go to a museum whatnot uh, there's just so much to do and it's kind of like once in a time life opportunity because you know once you start working you're working all day so possible to go to america for school it's you know everything is gonna be in your school and you're gonna have a lot of time to go see so don't be lazy and go out and see the world well, thank you for coming, Billy. Thank you for having me and thank you for listening. This is the end of our podcast. Thank you for listening to our first English podcast. Hope you enjoyed it. American Digital Sciences гадраас санхүүжүүлдэг Education USA Монголын хөтөлбөрийн хэрэгжүүлэгчээр Монгол дахь Америк төгсгчний холбоо ажиллаж байна. Та Америкт ихтэй сургалт хэрхэн суралцах тухай цогц үнэн зөв мэдээллийг үн төлбөргүй авахыг хүсвэл Education USA Монголын хөтөлбөрийн боловсролын зөвлөгөөдөд хандаарай. Эдэнтэй холбогдлоо төсвөл www.masa.org-ийн цахим хуудсаар хандаж болохоос гадна 
Facebook, Twitter, Instagram дээр Education USA Mongolia-д дагаарай. Эрэх даваа гарагт эргэн үзлээ. Төр баяртай.